Welcome to r slash, a podcast where I read the best posts from across Reddit. Today's subreddit is r slash pro revenge, where OP gets revenge against their douchey neighbors. Our next Reddit post is from Carbon Land Rover. Friday night here in the country can get a little crazy sometimes, so I don't mind when my neighbors cause a ruckus or a loud party as long as it doesn't get too crazy. Tonight I'm on call for the Virginia State Police rowing rotation, which means I've got 25 minutes to get to wherever the wreck slash DUI slash impound is. As luck would have it, my neighbors are having a party, and guess what's blocking my driveway? That's right, about 25 to 30 cars. I live down a dirt road at the end of a cul-de-sac, and it's pretty narrow. One car in, one car out type of deal. And with this rain we've been having, parking in the mud is really not the best idea. Even with a 4x4, it can still get tricky. I noticed a few cars coming in early this evening and walked over to my neighbors, and I made it pretty clear that I was on call. And as long as I didn't block the road or my driveway, everything would be fine. No problems here. Well, I get a call from my boss asking if I can come warm up the tow trucks. It's about 30 minutes after midnight, so I get my boots on in other gear, because if I'm up, I might as well stay at the shop and clean a few things to stay busy and make the night move along. I get in my car, and as I'm backing out of the driveway, I notice I'm blocked in. I don't mean by just one truck, but by nearly 15 different vehicles. I calmly walk over to my neighbors, which is about a 1 8 mile hike, and as I'm looking for them through a crowd of drunk teenagers, some idiot wants to know why I'm on his property. He is not the property owner. I've never seen this classy gentleman. Finally, I find my neighbor, and I ask her if she can move the cars. I've got work to do. Then, without yelling over the music, she says in a normal tone, Whoever is blocking the driveway next door, move your trucks. Then slams the door in my face. I knock again and she answers with a drunken, Oh God, this woman again? Internally, I'm thinking, all right then. I do my best to explain that I'm on call and have to get out of my driveway to go to work, and she comes back sloshing a natty light exclaiming, It's a party! Relax! Then she shuts the door in my face and yells, F that lesbian grunt! I smile, and as I'm walking away, this macho man throws a beer at me and cackles, Yeah, you best leave! Go on, get! I get on the phone with dispatch and call for as many trucks as we have available tonight, about 10, and tell them to come on over. Mama's got some private property impounds to do. I call police dispatch and ask if they'd send an officer out in case things get out of hand, and as soon as the cop shows up, my rigs start rolling up and hooking vehicles up and taking them to the impound yard. We get down to the last three vehicles, a yellow Civic, a gold Silverado, and an old F-150. The Civic owner bolts to his car and takes off. The Silverado girl, who's pretty wasted, gets stuck and starts tearing up my property. The officer walks over and she throws a fit. Long story short, she gets arrested for underage drinking and DUI. The Ford owner doesn't show up. I get to work after all the impounds and I brought coffees and snacks for my drivers. Tomorrow is not a business day, which means that if these tools want their cars back, it's going to be the regular 290 bucks plus two days of storage at 55 bucks a day, plus a $100 gate fee. I make a note on every single storage sheet, the papers that the vehicle owners get back, to thank the girl who had the party for getting towed. I'm going to be honest, you have to be a special kind of stupid to block the driveway of a professional tow truck driver. Our next Reddit post is from Barbecue in Hell. This story is about my friend, Grumpy. I met Grumpy in Narcotics Anonymous. He volunteered there after they helped him and he became my sponsor. Seeing that I was trying to get my act together, Grumpy offered me my first job out of high school. 
Grumpy was the manager of a store for a company that sold everything you needed to build a house, from cement and bricks to custom-made cupboards. I started as a loader, filling the trucks that were making deliveries. A little background on the company. When they started back in the 80s, they sold everything you needed to build a brick-and-mortar home wholesale. During their first expansion, they got a really good reputation for the prices of their power tools, custom cupboards, and landscaping. The stores were basically big warehouses. In the mid-90s, they opened their doors to the general public due to the rising demand in DIY, and it skyrocketed their sales. That brought a second, smaller wave of expansion and the opening of an online store. When I joined, they were in phase three of their business plan. They had cut down on things that weren't big sellers, like bricks and concrete, and were focusing more on the big sellers, like custom-made furniture, landscaping, tools, and, for some weird reason, plumbing. My first eight months on the job was a dream. Grumpy was an excellent manager. He started working at the company right after high school and was promoted through the ranks, so he had developed a very distinct managerial style. His concept was simple. If my employees are happy, they work better and provide better service, which leads to better sales. This meant that, even though Grumpy managed a store that was much smaller than the others, we were fourth in revenue nationwide and first in customer happiness. Also, I should explain his nickname. While everyone called him Grumpy, a nickname that he was actually quite proud of, he was far from actually being Grumpy. The reason for this is that he had a medical condition that affected his nerves and it left him with a permanent frown on his face. He had even declined a promotion due to that condition because he knew the extra stress would make his condition flare up. His medical condition did flare up unexpectedly and Grumpy had to be hospitalized and be on sick leave for a time. The head office decided that, instead of having one of Grumpy's assistants take over during this time, they brought in a regional manager. Let's call this guy Wilhelm. Wilhelm was the exact opposite of Grumpy. He was younger than Grumpy, had a business degree, and hadn't worked the floor at all. He was hired from the beginning as an office drone and climbed his way up to regional manager. The reason he was put in charge of our store was because he was in charge of the business plan for this company. You see, the store's recent change in focus had caused a lot of empty space in our stores. A supermarket chain had approached the company with an offer to rent the empty space, especially for inner city stores. Our company accepted the offer and placed regional managers in key stores to help with integration. The thing is, that supermarket chain had a reputation of being bad employers. That was reinforced by one of our tellers, who had worked for them for three years before quitting to join us. Wilhelm also didn't help. His managerial style was based on only one concept. Make more money in any way possible. He started by changing our schedule from monthly to weekly, raising the sales targets to unrealistic heights and always demanded more. In the first two weeks, six experienced people had left our store. Four quit and two were fired and they were replaced with young, inexperienced people who were easier to manipulate. And then, the integration happened. The floor was the first to feel the problem. The supermarket opened its doors, and it was understaffed. Wilhelm started sending people over to help the supermarket for four to six hours, while also demanding those people work their regular shifts. If someone declined, they were written up. If you got two write-ups in six months, you were fired. Then, Wilhelm came by to lay down the law on the loading bay. The loading bay was shared between the two stores. Wilhelm said that we had to help the supermarket people unload their trucks first because their products were perishable. And then, when we were done, we could start unloading our trucks. That would throw our delivery schedule to the wind. Our loading crew worked from 5am to 1pm. We would first load the trucks that had a farther distance to travel, so they would be ready to leave by 7am at the latest. 
Because of Wilhelm's new policy, we couldn't start loading our trucks before 7.30 a.m., and they couldn't start their route before 9.30 a.m. We told Wilhelm this, but he didn't care. He said we had to do both jobs. When someone asked about overtime, Wilhelm said no. He said that we already made too much money, so he wouldn't approve overtime. So we went from a nice work environment to a miserable work environment. We lost 10 loading crew members in one month because of these new rules. The new hires didn't last long either. The floor was a mess also. We started turning around personnel faster than a $1 hooker. Anyone who stuck around was either looking for another job, was afraid of unemployment, or was too young to know better. Our sales experienced a very small decline, but customer happiness was plummeting fast. After almost six months of this, all the old employees were ready to quit. But luckily, our savior Grumpy came back. Almost six months from the day that he was hospitalized, Grumpy walks back into the store to claim his rightful position. He was in normal attire, slightly limping and holding a cane. We had a welcome back party for him, and we had a small glimmer of hope now that he's back. We were informed that Grumpy was on light duty for two weeks before he became manager again. Despite Grumpy being back, Wilhelm still remains the regional manager, which means he outranks Grumpy and makes it very clear in private meetings with all of us. If he caught us complaining to Grumpy, we were as good as gone. However, another department had other ideas. During his reign of terror, the only department that Wilhelm couldn't control was the workshop. He knew that if he treated them as badly as he treated us, they would quit, and sales would go from a small decline to bottom of the barrel real quick. Like I said, custom-made furniture was our number one seller. So the head carpenter had a meeting with Grumpy on his second day talking about the future of the workshop. In reality, the guy just spilled the beans on Wilhelm. Under the pretext of catching up, Grumpy had meetings with everyone, learning what Wilhelm had done and why we had so many new employees. You could feel that he was getting angrier with each meeting. He also had an eye-opening meeting with the manager of the supermarket. Finally, the time had come that Grumpy was the manager once again. The revenge. On his first day back as manager, Grumpy told everyone that we had a mandatory meeting after the store was closed. He had a solution. Later that day during that meeting, Grumpy lays out his plan. For the next couple of days, nobody except for Grumpy would be coming into the store. If anybody called us, we should direct the caller to Grumpy. Which we did, and we started getting calls about the store being closed. Grumpy's response to headquarters was simple. The staff was working a second job during their shifts, which is a breach of contract, so Grumpy had to fire everyone and find new staff. That certainly got the headquarters' attention, because nothing of the sort was reported about in the last six months. They asked Grumpy for evidence, and he happily provided our written testimonies. This brought an absolute shitstorm on Wilhelm. You see, Wilhelm had an arrangement with the supermarket manager. Wilhelm was getting a kickback from the supermarket for our unpaid labor, and the supermarket manager offered the same thing to Grumpy. Grumpy also mentioned that Wilhelm regularly declined to sign overtime, which meant that if any one of us went to the labor department, the company would get a huge fine. The aftermath. Wilhelm was almost immediately fired. All the other employees received calls to interview with the company for an open position. We all received severance pay for our firing, plus most of our unpaid overtime, about 80% of it. Almost all of us went back to work with a small pay raise based on experience. The company took a long, hard look at the supermarket chain and distanced themselves from them. The next time Grumpy had to take time off, one of his assistants took over. 
Grumpy brought back his usual managerial style, leading again to a rise in sales and customer happiness. I left the job three years later for a better paying position, but I still remember Grumpy as one of the best managers I ever had. So, for those of you who don't know, one of the most famous sound effects in Hollywood is called the Wilhelm Scream. So, I like to imagine that when Wilhelm was fired and thrown out the building, he gave the Wilhelm Scream. Ah! Our next Reddit post is from 2Generic. This story is from my grandfather, set in about 1950. My grandfather's uncle, Uncle Joe, bought a lake house in Ontario back in the 1920s. Over the years, he kept adding to it. Another cabin, a bunkhouse that slept about 12 people, a boathouse, a shaded outdoor dining area under some trees, etc. Each summer, Uncle Joe would invite his family members up there and it would be a grand time. We just called it the camp and it was well loved by the family. The only full-time resident of the camp was an older man who bred hunting dogs. This was the perfect area for that sort of thing. He had about 10 well-behaved adult dogs most of the time, and the kids loved that each year there were puppies around too. But one year, Aunt Mabel and her pack of squalling, ill-behaved children came to the camp. No problem, they were family too, and they were welcome, except that they stayed most of the summer. When my grandfather got there in July to stay two weeks, as he'd always done, Mabel and her family had been there a while already. And Uncle Joe later said they didn't leave until September. He was too polite to kick them out, but he was fed up, especially when they made noises about coming back the next year. The next year, Uncle Joe asked my grandfather to go with him several weeks early to set up the camp. They talked to the dog breeder and hatched a plan. When Aunt Mabel and her brood arrived, everyone sat down to dinner at the outdoor dining area. The only change from last year is that there were now metal plates nailed to the table. This caused a couple of raised eyebrows, especially when the explanation was that it was easier to clean this way, but everyone just ate happily. Then, when everyone was done eating, it was my grandfather's time to shine. He gave a loud whistle and yelled, Dinner time! A pack of hounds came from the other end of the camp at a run and jumped up on the tables. They started eating the leftovers, then licking all the plates clean. This took less than a minute. Uncle Joe and my grandfather stood nearby, nodding approvingly and patting the dogs. Uncle Joe said, See, much easier to clean this way. Wanna go fishing now? My grandfather reported that it was literally the first time he had seen someone's jaw drop open and start gaping open and close like a fish. Mabel and her brood somehow decided to leave the next morning after breakfast. It had taken them two weeks to train the dogs, and Uncle Joe and my grandfather had to spend the rest of the summer breaking them of the habit of jumping up on dining tables. Everyone agreed that it was worth it. Mabel and her brood never returned to the camp. I feel like if someone invited me to a lake house and they were like, Oh, and by the way, every time you finish eating a meal outside, a group of 10 hungry, friendly dogs will jump up on the table and eat all your leftovers. I'd just be like, okay, and that's a problem for some reason? That was our Slash Pro Revenge, and if you like this content, check out my Patreon where I publish extra episodes. Also, be sure to follow this podcast, because I put out new Reddit podcast episodes every single day.